Hello, this is Joe Peters with In and Out with Joe, and I'm about to interview Michael Kerwin, a longtime resident of Somerville, who's been recently elected as chairman of the Downtown Somerville Alliance. Please listen in. So great, we're on the air, Michael. This is Joe Peters with In the Know of Joe, and I'm interviewing Michael Kerwin from Somerville. And Michael has got a very interesting background. What is he going to spend a minute or two and tell us about? So thank you for uh, inviting me to have this conversation. I look forward to interesting dialogue and hearing what you have to say as well, Joe. So feel free to interrupt me at any time. So anyway, like we were talking uh, before we started here, um, I retired going on two years ago. And one of the things I was reflecting on was uh, my my biography in in Somerville. And I realized when I was elected mayor at a pretty young age, youngest mayor in Somerville's history. Somerville, of course, was founded in 1909. And then I later uh, worked for uh, what was then called Shive Spinelli Parentoni Architectural Firm, then became SSP. They were founded in 1891, the oldest professional firm in Somerset County and the oldest architectural firm in the state. And then I moved on to be the CEO of the Somerset County Business Partnership, which started as the Somerville Chamber of Commerce in 1919. So that's three. I led three Somerville organizations over a hundred years old. Isn't that interesting? What do you? And I don't think I, I don't not to be cocky about it, but I don't think there's anyone else who can say that. What years were you mayor, Michael? Uh, late eighties, eighty-eight to ninety-one. Wow, wow. So that's me. I'm like walking around. I'm like, oh, that's kind of an interesting tidbit. Well, you so know, you, my roots. My roots in the area. Um, I grew up. And then Allen and Greenbuck and then got married and went to Somerville. But we, both sides of my family, have been around since the late 1800s. Part of the Irish immigration post the data famine. So the, the, the downtown bar with your family name on it is part of your family's business? Yeah. So it started, we were talking World War I. Uh, it started actually at a speakeasy in Piscataway. Wow. And uh, I think the statute of limitations has expired on that, so we can talk about it. Uh, but after that, my grandfather and grandmother started the Dillon Hotel. And uh, subsequently, my dad started the Kerwin's Tavern in Middlesex that my uh, brother runs to this day. And there was also a nice place up in 22, greatest name in history, Happy Kerwin's. Happy Kerwins. Happy Kerwins. So there was a bunch at one point. Is that still in existence? No. Nah, well, I think it was sold for a nightclub. I, I don't. I'm not sure what what whatever happened to that location. Huh. But they had good picnics. So great. So two years. I remember you telling me the story. You walked out the day they shut the country down on March 13th yeah. of 2020. What that was surreal. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, my last day at work, and then my successor, Chris Edwards, who's doing a great job, basically escorted me to the door and said, it's over. Time to go home, Mike. So I could. <laughs> <laughs> so I get in my car. I'm retired for exactly 15 seconds. Turn on my car radio. and Trump is declaring a national emergency, shutting down the country. Wow. And then the joke I tell is the word got out that I retired. And the market crashed that Monday. <laughs> <laughs> But everything I plan to do in retirement, you know, all my favorite bars and stores and, you know, yep. my, my wife, the gym I belong to, everything closed out as well. Wow. What a, what a time. So we're, we're looking, we're on this to talk about the downtown Somerville Alliance, but you were starting to say that from that point forward, while we we're there in history two years ago, that things started to change a lot in Somerville just based on the fact that it was shut down. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Somerville has been building up to a crescendo for many, many years. And we were hearing that, you know, the typical 
uh, conversation would be, you know, oh, Herrick Somerville is doing great, but it's no Morristown or but hmm. it's no New Brunswick. And then about two years ago, we stopped hearing the but. Yeah. And in fact, then we then we used to say, if you told me about Morristown, I would say Morristown's great, but it's no summer. <laughs> so that was a tipping point. So the uh, it was so the timing of the COVID crisis was frustrating because we had worked all these years to get to that that moment, to that tipping point, that crescendo, yeah, ready to explode. And then we got shut down for a while. We got stuff, you know, every like everyone else. But our theory is that coming out now that um, we're hopefully slowly reopening, there'll be a need to reconnect uh, just on a human level. Right. And there will be no better place to do that than downtown summer. That's what it's all about. I think you're on. I think you, 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 I always have called the, a lot of people went through a lot of pain for this last two years. And fortunately our family was not part of that, uh, fortunately for us, but I always have called the, the epidemic we went through the COVID experience God's wake up call because it sort of made us rethink things. I can, right. I can remember I was calling, I did major accounts for SAP SAP was the largest software company in the world then. I imagine they're still a major player. I still hear their name and see their ads. But all I called on was major retailers. And, and, and I was a strategic account retail manager. I remember flying to San Francisco one morning and caught the first flight out, went to Post Street, which is where their dot-com was situated. And there was no place to sit down. We stood up in the lobby and had an hour and 15-minute meeting I came back and took the red eye and went back home. Now we do that on a Zoom call. Yeah. There's yeah. just no need. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. No I think how you think about time has changed. That's one. I mean, I used to think back to all those meetings I used to have with, uh, in Newark. You know, get to Newark, downtown Newark on the 10th floor of a building next to the railroad station for an hour and a half meeting. Yeah. And you weren't leading. You were just there. Right. That's a major ordeal. Um, but the other thing I think that happened is, uh, is I, I watched this closely with my kids who were, you know, uh, their adult children. They're in their 30s and early 40s, raising the, my grandchildren, their kids. Mm -hmm. And they realized how much time they were spending commuting. Right. And, you know, I said, welcome to the club. I mean, I, I spent most of my career with them literally walking distance of where I live. So, you know, I never bought into the whole community thing. In fact, there was a bunch of people in Somerville. It was, it was like a little cult <laughs> of people that actually lived and worked in town. So little things like worrying about getting to work in a snowstorm. Yeah. You never thought about that. Well, Not it's, an issue. it's changed so many things that I used to drive my office is in Warren Watchung. I live in Clinton. So it's about 22 miles one way. And my office is over there because it's a better real estate market than Hunterdon County. But I still right. go about 50-50 between Hunterdon and Somerset. I go to that office once a quarter. I, wow. I do all my business either in person. I can't do real estate business out of my house. So we'll meet at the right. local office or we'll meet at a Starbucks or a whatever. Yeah. And most of my business is listing business anyway. So I meet at the house and, and work with the people on getting their house prepared for the market. And, but my leads groups, there's one at the JCC on, on Tuesday mornings, we decided let's get back together face to face. So we did it outside where the swimming pool is. Right. And it was a hot, humid morning. And it was really difficult to get to the men's room for the coffee drink. Right. <laughs> we never did it again. Yeah, <laughs> that funny. was last summer. We realized that, yeah, it is great to get back together, but there's really no need to do it other than for the one-on-one. -on -one. So I think the one-on-one -on -one yeah. becomes keeping the culture going and it needs to be done, but it doesn't need to be done the way we were doing it. 
Right. And I've had a lot of people say to me, look, I can attend the online meetings, but I can't attend the in-person meetings. And it happens a lot from people who are a little out of the area. The people in Morristown that are considering Somerville part of their business district will join the Somerville business groups, but not want to come in person unless it's like once a quarter. Yeah, I think. And that's new. I think that's new. Yep. So I think, John, um, John, who used to do business development, uh, retired last year. No, John Maddox? Maddox. He said it yeah. best. He says the, the companies, he said two things that I wasn't thinking about. One is there's certain kinds of jobs that are professional jobs that you've got to go to work. Okay. And they're right. doctors and they're lawyers and they're, um, they're people who meet people and they can't meet people at their house because they're not set up for it. He says, but then you've got the second grade, which are the cashiers and the gas jockeys and the whatever that you just can't do that kind of work out of your house. You've got to get up and go somewhere. So he said, right. you've got not the socially elite, but the more educated and more technically advanced people can work out of their house and not do this commute anymore. But even them, they need to get together on a right periodic basis to keep the culture going. And I think that's a yep. great assessment of it because yeah, I, I agree with all that. We're, we're getting companies building um, the hub as a club kind of thing, as John, uh, right. our, uh, Jim Hughes calls it, where you won't have a corporate culture anymore, but you'll have a corporate place in the neighborhood where the people, the jobs are going to find, follow, the companies will follow the people as far as having things like that. So so let's get into Downtown Somerville Alliance. It looks like you've been part of this for a while. Yeah, so the, the, the creation myth, as I would describe it, okay. goes back to the, and I think it's important to realize what, what the economic climate was back in the late 80s. Bridgewater Commons had just opened up and that was a fantastic addition to the Somerset County scene, a brand new mall indoor controlled environment and new stores and free parking right off the interstate. Right. Uh, and the prediction for the downtowns of the world were, was dire. Uh, basically the prediction was that they were obsolete and uh, turn off the lights. Wow. So we needed to figure out a, what I called it a playbook on how to compete successfully and first of all, make sure it's downtown Somerville survived, but then ultimately thrived, even though, even though we've, I figured that would take a while. On the theory that, um, that the suburban sprawl we were experiencing back then was, was a very American post-World War II phenomenon that could not last forever. Mm-hmm. And that it would come to an end, and then people would go back and rediscover centers where you know where there's more connection, right? And that's what what that's what happened. So the the challenge was how do we fight? You know, how do we do that when Somerville had no money? So we had to figure out a playbook <laughs> of strategies that worked um, without spending a little, not much, anyway. Right. And that led to, I read an article about special improvement districts. That was a new legislation in New Jersey and that uh, Cranford had done this. And uh, so I call, called up the Beryl Cranford and basically caught their, copied their approach of creating a district of properties downtown that were subject to a, uh, an additional tax that provided some revenue to provide, uh, provide uh, resources to do, do things. So the first insight was that there will come a time when downtowns will become popular again. And then the second insight was the competitive, one of the competitive advantages the mall had was common uh, management. Whereas when you have a downtown, by definition, you have entrepreneurial people who are there to be their own boss. Right. So the one of the cool things about the special improvement district that you created, you you have to belong whether you like it or not, but it allowed downtown to speak with one voice 
similar to the way a mall would mm-hmm. with common management. And uh, that turned out to be prophetic uh, as one of the things, because then we, then we could start operating as a, as a downtown. So it was, it was interesting. So what happened after that was we passed the ordinance and it was very controversial because we were raising taxes on downtown property owners. It's three, three tie with the council. I broke the tie. What was interesting, it was strictly down party lines and two of the yes votes became future mayors. Okay. So one of the lessons there was, you know, you think you can get ahead politically by being cautious. Yeah. Hmm. They had the guts to do it and they, they reaped the reward later on. But what happened, Joe, was interesting. Now the, that people saw that Somerville was being reactive and not playing victim, things started happening. And then what happened was I got approached by Ray Bateman senior statesman, political leader in Somerset County, and Frank Torpy, who's in charge of J&J's company distribution. And they came to me. Now, bear in mind, I was like 36 years old. Mm-hmm. And they came up to me and said, kid, uh, we like what you did. And they put together this group called Somerset Alliance for the Future, which all the major corporations in the county, including AT&T, J&J, Verizon. Uh, with the idea of doing strategic projects to, for a quality of life, including helping summer. That would not have happened had we not done the ESA. Wow. And then uh, a few months go by and Jack Penn was an assembly person in the legislature. He was head of the chair of the uh, transportation committee in Trent. And he shows up at a council meeting unannounced saying, kid, I mean, mayor, uh, we we had this project called the Veterans Memorial Drive, which was to create a road loop around downtown that had been stalled for years uh, because we were trying to get federal money allocated to the state for the state to do the project. Jack Penn said, rather than do it that way, let's make it a local project with state funding and I control the state funding. Wow. So I will give you state funding to complete the project. Wow. So again, that would not have happened until the word got out that Somerville was being proactive. Uh, and then the next piece we did was uh, we updated our zoning and realized that Unbeknownst to us, we had adopted a way of uh, zoning downtown that was perfect for a suburban township and against every downtown principle ever known. Hmm. We were limiting our height. We had floor area ratio. Housing downtown was not permitted. Our parking regulations were ridiculous. And it was a wake up call. It's like, what are we doing? So we changed the zoning allowed more density and uh, made it reflective of a downtown, not suburbia. And, uh, you know, that helped as well. Um, So notice, you know, so after like a year and then finally the special improvement district tax kicked in. And then rather than wait till we build up some revenue, we actually bonded against future revenue to put in new sidewalks and benches and lanterns and everything all at one shot. So at the end of a few years, we are up to, we had updated our zoning. We had a major road infrastructure project. The downtown had been beautified and uh, we were in alliance with the major international companies that were based in Somerset County. Notice we have a playbook. Yep. And notice we haven't spent any money. Love it. Bingo. Politically savvy. <laughs> yeah. So that bought us time. And then uh, I give credit to subsequent mayors, specifically um, Mayor Gallagher. And as you mentioned before, we started talking, Mayor Sullivan, who kept up the uh, momentum. 
Right. And Gallagher, because uh, we had the old Pathmark Shopping Center, that was kind of a suburban style shopping center that didn't belong in downtown. It was one story. It was set back off the road. The entrance to the shopping center was facing a parking lot, not Main Street. It really didn't belong. So Gallagher got rid of that. And then we, you know, Jack Morris came in with Edgewood, which was a brand new retail. And then what Morris did was one of the turning points is how do you know your downtown is successful if you don't have a Starbucks? So you got to have a Starbucks. Right. So Morris brings in Starbucks. And then Jack needed a place to hang out. Um, and he was started driving into Brunswick. So he was able to bring in Wolfgang's. Neat. So that became like a big advertising for downtown Somerville. Look, we got Wolfgang's. We got Starbucks. You know, right. if they're, if they're happy here. Things are happy. So when you go to Wolfgang's, you know, look at the menu. Yep. And have a list of all the locations for Wolfgang's, New York, Miami Beach, Tokyo, Beverly Hills. Right. Somerville. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wolfgang, most people think that has something to do with Wolfgang Punk, but he was the major uh, head. I think head, there's different, yeah, different variation. He was the head uh, waiter at the steakhouse in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And he actually had nothing to do with We We know Wolfgang Cup Pup personally because Marilyn's son worked for him in Santa Monica. She actually had lunch with him a couple of times. Yeah, interesting personality, I'm sure. Yeah, great little guy, but in effect, uh, a whole different story than Wolfgang's because we ate in Wolfgang's in New York on Christmas Day. And um, we got the kids are grown and gone. And we gave Christmas away after a while because it was too much to drive up to our place in Hunterdon County. So we said, you know, rather than favor one kid, why don't we go just into New York, see the lights, look at the windows and have dinner? And we did that for about seven years in a row up till COVID happened. And we discovered Wolfgang's in New York and their advertisement was, it was the home at a hundred dollar steak. Well, yeah, it, it's a little less expensive in uh, Somerville, but it's not an inexpensive not area. Much. <laughs> yeah, it's and, a good place for a special occasion. And, and that place just past the Somerville Circle, Char is the is same uh, price point, really. It's a nice place, but it's a lot of money for a Somerville restaurant. Yeah. Uh, summer, I think they're in Raritan. So. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're into Raritan, but most people consider the same general area. So we got the only thing that's left on the list that from a real estate viewpoint would be getting a the uh, small grocery store chain in here. They've got one in the Bridgewater Mall now, not in the Bridgewater. But oh, you mean like Whole Foods, place like that? Um, no, the there's a smaller one yet that actually. Uh, yeah. The, the two buck chuck trader joe's say again trader joe's trader joe's yeah they say a trader joe's for as a matter of fact we have our our one of our highest spots for coldwell banker is kenilworth and that general area and there's a trader joe's there with a liquor store because they can only have three liquor stores just like cost licenses in new jersey and he i said to him how much do you think the guy that's the head realtor in that office that brings to your local? He says it is amazing how many people that brings in. It, it's one of the reasons that we're a jump off point to the train station to New York or close there. Uh, so that's yeah. always helped. But uh, they lost, I, I guess they lost Saks Fifth Avenue in the last couple of years. But the Trader Joe's has been a big drawing point. So one of these days, that'll be a great downtown addition. So. Yeah. So downtown Somerville Alliance is has been there for a long time, different names, different people. But today, I understand there's a large expansion going on across the street from where Starbucks is. I haven't been downtown in about three months, uh, including parking. Where, on the other side of tracks, you mean? No, right off, right on Main Street. I mean, I, yeah, so the, the Edgewood Properties is a, the first buildings was been done a couple of years ago. There's a there's like a twin that's being built next to it. That's what I heard with a bridge going. And that will that will uh, fill in the hole, if you will, on Main Street, and that'd be would be great to see that. There's also 
one of the key intersections, as you know, is Bridge and Main, probably the key intersection in Somerville, if not the county. Right. Uh, where you have the one-story uh, little restaurant there, little diner, that's going to be replaced. The, the, there's a proposal, so this is not confirmed, but the planning board will be hearing a proposal where I think a new steakhouse and, yeah, I don't know if it's a hotel or not, but something multi-story prominent is going Is in. that the Jack Cusk product? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jack Cusk Jr., Jack Cus yeah. Jr. Because I know Jack, uh, he's been on my show a couple of times, talked about father or father, Jr. yeah. And yeah, he's an interesting guy, yeah. He sure is. I mean, he's got an interesting baseball background too. But um he he was talking about what they're going through in downtown Flemington, which has been like pulling teeth, but it's finally yeah. going. It's finally going after three different iterations of design. And um I, I think you asked me the question once before, what does Flemington think of Somerville and it's lust? I mean, Flemington <laughs> would love that. Yeah, I remember I met with their downtown leaders years ago. And my, my concern when a developer comes in, you know, their natural reaction is to reduce the density. And I was concerned, my concern is always that you reduce the density just to the point where the project is no longer successful. Right. What happened in Somerville, again, after we went through decades of thinking and uh, learning how the successful downtowns work, the legend is, and I think this is true, uh, is Jack Morris came in with his proposal for the multi-story uh, building on Main Street, and he met with uh, I know Bernie Nevado tells this story, so I don't think he'll mind me quoting him. He's the chairman of our planning board. Okay. And uh, Jack proposed it, and Bernie's response may be historic in the history of Somerset County. The response was from the town, not enough density. <laughs> it's not, it's too suburban. It's not downtown. Make it higher and bigger and more dense. Think about that. Now, can you imagine Flemington saying that? No, no, I can't. Well, there I'm you go. Deeply involved with Flemington, but they've been, well, they just announced they're going to knock down Liberty Village and build in like three or 400 apartments and townhouses in there. And yeah, I was, I, yeah, now it's kind of sad what happened to that. Yeah, it, but it was it was exacerbated by COVID. I mean, there's, I used to go to the Brooks Brothers outlet there. I don't know if it's still there, but there's only seven stores left of the whole place. Yeah, I was, I was on the greater, as a realtor, the greater revived downtown Flemington thing by helping fill in some of the blank storefronts about three years ago. And we walked through that mall and it was like a graveyard. So yeah. Now they're bringing in the Cust project, which is going to put the whole thing across the courthouse square, and they're going to build the 400 units, figure 1.7 cars per unit, and all the. I don't know how they're going to handle the traffic. I'm sure somebody's doing a traffic study because even though it'll be involved with um, affordable housing, it yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, so I, 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 hope, I wish Flemington well. I I used to go to a lot of meetings down. There were um, some of the committees I was on. I was relationship between Somerset and Hunterdon counties. And I remember you know, to go in there for a few years, uh, one of my colleagues from Hunterdon, I invited him out for a drink. And basically, there was nowhere to go. Yeah. And I'm like, like, what are you talking about? Uh, where's, where's your verb? Where's your, you know, there's no bars on the main street of downtown. And most people get confused. I go, I go, how's that possible? Now, yeah. bear in mind, I, I, Family background is four generations of tavern owners. <laughs> this was an alien concept to me. How could you have a downtown with no place to have a cocktail? But so, and, and now on top of it, and we'll get back to Somerville quickly. They they've closed some of the streets for the construction. So, the, I think yeah. Three Main was on one of the streets that got closed. They did a leave it open from the other end, which is one of the more popular restaurants with a liquor license downtown. But uh, Somerville. I've always been, as a realtor and, and as a person who wasn't a realtor all their life, amazed by how it's prospered and attracted 
all of the various cultures. And we did that as we went through the uh, diversity thing a few years back. But yeah. Marilyn and I, I think I told you the story, I don't drink. And Marilyn drinks a glass of wine every two days. We went down to the Oktoberfest and realized quickly, this isn't us. It was a great conglomeration of young people, but- um, yeah, I was there. I, it, I was the oldest guy there by about 20 years. So I can imagine, I know exactly what you're saying. So we I found a little corner and I wasn't that crazy. So yeah, so we got out the far end and and walked around it and came back down and then walked through downtown looking for a restaurant. I wanted to eat outside. It was a nice day. And we wound up at the Mexican restaurant, which was great. Oh, nice. But the, the the choice there is really neat as to how many ethnicities you've got represented in the cultures that intertwine really nicely. So I, I think that's, I've been, that's one of the things, you know, like we talked about before, when you retired, you have time to think. And, yep. um, you know, I grew up in Denellen, which was a railroad town, grew up that developed during our industrial area and was like a lot of towns, Bound Brook uh, was another one. Um, very ethnic, very Catholic. Okay. And so when I, you know, the joke when I was growing up in Denelan, uh, the only the only question were you Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic, Polish Catholic, Czech Catholic, German Catholic. <laughs> and I didn't realize at the time, but it's probably the most densely ethnic Catholic percentages anywhere in the country. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. So when I got to Somerville. Somerville, for reasons, that's what I, I think about. This would be an historical question. We had a very strong Catholic presence. And in fact, Somerville became the only Catholic parish that created a K-12 educational system from scratch hmm. in Somerset or Hunterdon County. So right. the one that with the, the least percentage Catholics did the most. But we still maintained, unlike the other towns, a strong Dutch reform Right. Presbyterian, strong Protestant, strong Jewish and and African-American church. Uh, St. Thomas African Episcopal Methodist Church, for example, the church of Paul Robeson's father. And that we kept that. So what that means, Joe, at least I think it means. Is that now we have this you know, movement toward supporting diversity and inclusion. In Somerville, that's already baked into our genes. That's in our DNA. Yep. It, it, so it's not fake. So we embrace it in a way, I think, that uh, is, is true to us. So where we look at downtown, therefore, as a platform that we can all celebrate our, our growing diversity in a fun, happy, healthy way. And it shows. And, it shows. Yeah. I said the Dennis, you're like, um, pick a city, Jersey City, Bayonne, whatever, West. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I promised him to do it and I never did. And I, I also promised to take him in March out to dinner. So when I do that, I'm going to do a study on where the people have moved to Somerville from in the last year. And I'm going to guarantee you there's a lot of it's going to be along the river in New York because it's just like living in one of those river cities and without the crime, without the um, density uh, that they have and any expense. So, so here, here's it. So it started, I'm proud to say, <clears throat> with the uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yay. <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm Irish, so, but I try to, and then I was started classic Somerville way by a group of uh, committee that got together and wanted to celebrate our Irish heritage. But the same energy now, you know, we now is Black History Month in February. Then there's going to be Pride Month. And, you know, we have these great uh, celebrations, plus events, you know, the Memorial Day race and the Jazz Fest, and the Beer Fest. You know, it's, so we're creating this really cool experience that, that is just good. I mean, it's, it makes you happy. It's, I think it's human. I think it's just, it's brings the community together and it's just a great thing. We call well, it the I, downtown Somerville experience. 
when I first met with Marge Sullivan to start talking about doing the history, and we did two sessions on it, as I mentioned, and we're going to do one more with you to finish it. She brought me a book about Somerville now and then. It's a paperback book, and it shows all the buildings today and what they look like as far back as possible. And the one thing I got out of looking through that book was how many different denominations of churches there were. There must have been 20 different denominations. Yeah. It started with the Dutch, right? So the Dutch reform, which still is here. And then you can almost go use the churches as a way of tracking your your history. So it's nice. Great. So we've come a long way. What's next for downtown Somerville? Now let's notice the buildings are going up. So that's going to help. Yeah. So the... A couple of themes, I think, and, and you know whether or not this turns out to be well. Let's have some fun. It's, I'll be curious about your opinion is too, Joe. Um, so certainly the the one theme that we're going to be pushing is the the, the art using art, moat art in downtown Somerville. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting with the courthouse lawn, we made a proposal to the county commissioners to get some funding. Hopefully they'll support that. But that green space in front of the courthouse, which is beautiful, start, start with that, creating like an art scene and, uh, and then let it spread throughout the, uh, the uh, downtown with sculpture, you know, all kinds of, kinds of stuff like that. that that's definitely going to going to happen um i think the the the, again we talked about the showcase for growing uh so so to uh celebrate our growing diversity i think some of them will emerge as the logical place to do that on a countywide level oh absolutely yeah culminating and you heard this first four years from now 250th anniversary of the founding of the United States of America. I see an ultimate celebration taking place in downtown Somerville. I hope, hope we're both around to see that one. Yeah, I tend to agree. That, that sounds yeah. like a great couple of next steps. Uh, yeah. I think Art brings it in. Um, Marilyn's son who lived in, uh, he couldn't live in Santa Monica, it was too expensive. He lived up, I, I call it Century City, right? where the LA runways end, but it, it was called Westchester. And he called it, it's sort of where art meets crime. <laughs> you, you don't have the crime function. I mean, everybody's got a little bit of civil unrest, but uh, you know. So one of my, here's a tidbit for, for you. So the uh, municipal court judge, <clears throat> Bill Kelleher Jr., great guy. Just retired after many, many years of being the municipal court judge in Somerville. So I would see him uh, periodically and I would ask him a question after, say, March, after the St. Patrick's Day parade or the uh, tour of Somerville, where there was a lot of crowd, a lot of, you know, uh, some drinking involved. Yeah, you know, I would ask him how many arrests were made for, you know, disorderly conduct, basically. Right. You know what the answer was? Well, because zero. Nice. Nice. So this perception of downtown, and I still hear this, which to me, it staggers me that this lingering perception from a few diehards that Somerville is not safe. I can't imagine. I don't have that perception at all. The only thing I can say is I worked the the food collection day at ShopRite three years ago, and I had to go get a tetanus shot or something for hep a afterwards <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's the worst thing i ever heard about somerville uh is that uh, but one of the ways you make downtown safer is you have more people downtown right and I, which is more people around the same saying, you are because there's eyes on the street so right Flemington keeps but, saying the same thing. They want to have hotels. They want to have housing. Right. They want to have round-the-clock people. They even wanted to have a community college downtown, which didn't seem to Yeah, work I remember out. that. Yep, I supported that, by the way. So. But um, I know and I, t- I talked to Mike McDonough. He, he talks about he just – I've always admired Mike because he could make his point through humor. And yeah. <laughs> he leads you laughing. Very impressive leader. 
Yeah, but convinced. And he said, no, it's a community college. That's where it's at. And even though it's not on hundred and territory, hundred and supports 26% of it. And we're not going to yeah. put a spot. If I have something downtown, I got to have a financial office or all these regulations. It's never going to happen. So I, I just think Somerville's wrapped a lot together. And I, I commended Dennis and his wife. I said, Dennis is going to be 25 years next year, I guess. It's 25th anniversary of being a Somerville resident or the year after. I said, I'm going to be the first one to come down and buy a drink. I mean, it's it's a great he's done place. He's done a great job. And by the way, his wife, Marge, is now the trustee for the board at the on the board of the college. Really? Yes, yes, yes. How about, yes, that, yes, for, how about that for connecting dots? <laughs> I, I did congratulate her on that because the last time I talked to her, it had just happened. I forgot all about it. Yeah. Never. So uh, what perfect addition to the college board with some of that historical background of, a, of one of our key key boroughs, key, key towns. Good. She got back to me just this week as we had talked about the five generals tour that hadn't run in the last couple of years because of. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, so it's on for February 20th. And I'm definitely, as a matter of fact, I said to Marilyn, we're going to it. She says, no, I'm going to South Carolina to see my granddaughter that day. So I said, okay, I guess I'm going by myself. But since it only happens. Well, maybe I'll join you, Joe. It sounds interesting. It does. It does. And Marge walked me around and showed me, we got to talking about the courthouse and how, what it was originally built for and what it is today and a turnpike and how a new one was built. So it could look down main street of Somerville and um, interesting stories, the history of Somerville and, and the, where it's going, I think is just absolutely amazing. Um, I think, as I said, it's hundred in, and I'm 50-50 between the two counties, looks at that as, probably won't admit it, but as, man, I'd just like to be half that successful as they are. Well, it took a long time. I'll give you a couple more trends if you got a moment. Sure. No, I'm in no rush. Okay. The, um, the one we got to think about is utilizing our train station more, not just as a commuting place. We think about it as committing to the work, but there's really no reason why if you live in, uh, you know, pick Allen or Plainfield or Westfield, you can, you can come out for dinner. Right. Uh, it's not, you know, so we, we got to think about how that, that works. I'll give you a train station story because I commuted from South Amboy to New York for 23 years. I can't tell you how many hours I spent on the train. South Plainfield to where? New York. Oh, New York. Oh. So South Amboy, they changed the engines. They don't have electric and yeah, gas, but they used to have gas. I remember those days. And Giants Stadium, I'm a season ticket holder for Giants since 1985. And they started promoting this take the train. So we said, you know what? Rather than get in all that traffic, why don't we park at Sea Caucus Junction and try the train? Well, it's really great. Because once you park there, you, I don't think they even charge you to get on a train and you're there in eight minutes. The only issue is when you come back, they can only unload so many people at a time. So sometimes it takes an hour to get on a train coming back after the game is over. But if you build that into, so the thing that amazed me, Michael, was I was getting off the train and getting in my car and I was the only one walking to the parking lot. Everybody else was getting on another train. Oh, wow. And going further. So that way of thinking, and, and a question I wanted to ask you about the future of Somerville, too, was mobility and, and EVs and, and whether or not that's in the plan. Because I tend to think, and I get into more and more conversations with the people about this, is people don't need two cars anymore. And there'll come a point in time where they won't need one car. I told you I'm a sort of a devotee of the thinking of Elon Musk. He was on his call last week and they were saying, well, what if the cars are self-driving? What does that mean? He says, you don't understand. They will be self-driving. He admits the thing in the next 12 months. I think he's a little optimistic, but it's going to happen. But he says, you don't need a car to go to work. You need a car to take you from home to work. But maybe it's a consortium of four people that own that car and somebody else uses it to get to work at another time. And maybe it's a cab during the day. And why do we all need a car or two in the garage anymore? He says the the parking lot space. 
Parking yeah. lot space takes up a third, a quarter to a third of every town. We could use right. that space to have downtown. So, I mean, I think this guy's like from Mars. He's so ahead of himself. Uh, I think to make half of his stuff work, I think he's going to have have us all thinking differently. Um, so, I was talking to another real estate professional about the new designs of the built of the apartments coming in. Right, and they're all designed uh, the bigger, a little bit bigger space but the, with a uh, space for the home office. Okay. And the thinking is, you know, leads up to the conclusion that um, if, if you're living that, if you don't need to commit as much to work other than periodically. Right. You don't need the car. Right. And if you can get by, if two people can get by with one car, I mean, the savings is it's astronomical. Yeah. Big we time. Would- we, Marilyn and I lease, I think we're typical. We lease cars, okay? Yes. We've always leased cars because it was cheaper than owning them. And this year, I have a luxury car. She has a Volkswagen. Not to say it's not luxury, but it's a utility car. This yeah, year, the leases came up. You couldn't buy another car. So we wind, wound up buying the cars at the end of the leases, which is another whole story. But I'm not so sure other people aren't doing the same thing because I'm saying to myself, my next car will probably be an electrical car, but I don't have a need for another car right now because because of COVID, my car only has 41,000 miles on it and I own it. And hers is the same way. The Volkswagen had 20,000 miles. Why trade it in? So we're getting into the thinking ourselves and we're saying going forward, we probably don't need two cars. Well, my wife, we leased my wife's car and she works at the hospital about a mile from where we live. Right. Our mileage after like two years, I don't know, 10,000 miles. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. We're, we, and now, so now we're not going to come close to meeting the lease allocation. Right. We're thinking whether or not just, you know, buy it and just have it running into the ground. Well, I, don't know. It, it, I like, get a Carfax on a Volkswagen every month. The Carfax, the sticker price on a Volkswagen was, I would say, eighteen or nineteen thousand. Right. And the, the price of, at the end of the lease. At the end of the no, that was it. It was a basic no, not really. It's, with an air conditioner, and and it told you whether somebody was on the side with the mirrors. That were the only two functions of the car. I mean, it was just a go-to-work car. I got you. So, so Carfax says your car is worth $17,000 or it's almost worth what we leased it for list price three years later. It was wow. a no brainer. Yeah. So we bought the car. We took one car out of the new carpool. Not that there's any new cars on most of the lots anyway. And I right. did the same thing with my, I have a caddy. I did the same thing with the caddy and both of those cars will last us two or three years before we think about doing anything with them at this point in time because they're both low mileage cars and we're not driving many miles anyway so i take it back to new york city where i said i worked for 23 years the guys that lived in the city never had a car right they went and rented from avis or hertz now they've got these cars you could pick up for two hours or a motorbike and yep I think we're getting to that way of thinking. So the new apartments, yeah, everyone gets like one parking space, right, and in a closed garage, and then one day, one day you need the car because you know to buy groceries or get something to eat or take right. a walk or go exercise or go to a library. You don't need a car. You don't. You're downtown. As a matter of fact, Dennis called them walking wallets. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sounds a little derogatory for me, but no, nah, it's yeah, it's good. I I think the transition there and the use of trains and the need, no need to commute anymore for at least a good portion of your time makes our needs differently. I, in fact, Jim Hughes was saying he lives all the way down in West Hamill, East Hamill down there, and he says. I don't have high-speed internet. We have it at the telephone pole, but the running from there to the house is like $8,000 because the copper uh, connection. He said so. I actually know where Jim lives. Yeah, it's a beautiful uh, spot, but I never yeah. thought of the lack of technology. You can see that. 
So I know when I had other people looking down there, we'd hit the same place and we'd price out what it cost to run the internet into the house. And it wasn't like the gas line where you used a lot of gas and eventually paid for itself. The internet's $50 a month or whatever. We're not going to run it in. You have to pay to run the line down the driveway. And some of those driveways are two miles long in themselves. Wow. So that stops people from going too rural. Although I think with SpaceNet coming where you can get medium speed internet for a reasonable price, no matter where you're at. Um, I'm reading a book on futures and they're talking about people in Africa have had a cell phone. They never had a wired phone. They skipped the generations of phones. And the population of Africa has cell phones and doesn't have running plumbing in their house is astronomical, but they've got it and they've always had it. So interesting. They're able now to give these kids internet access and they're saying the amazing thing with the internet access is we don't give a terminal for every kid because we want them to co-exist with each other so we give a terminal for every four kids and put a grandmother in charge and all she's there is for positive reinforcement she doesn't know what the internet does at all and it's amazing what the kids learn all on their own off that. Well, I was going to say what a what an equalizer that is because yeah. now you can use the internet to get access to the quality education that you could only dream about before. That's and interesting. It's coming here because so much. I mean, the kids going to to Mike's RVCC and he's got two schools there: the worker school and the, the accredited school. Um, do they really need to go? to school. The other thing that I'm reading on futures is education has always been one size fits all. Uh, When you went through K through eight, you probably had a teacher that taught you everything with a a gym and maybe a special ed teacher. But when you got the knife, you started changing classrooms and going to different specialties. But still, I can remember sitting in physics in Edison High School, and I won't mention the year, and somebody was stuck on not understanding something and another student was saying we've explained it to her three times can't we move on and that's one size fits all education we can make this education catered to your particular interest to the extent that you may not need a degree think about how much you used of what you learned in college anyway when you got out um if you can get edgy and this is back to mike mcdonough's theme is if you can give them the education they need you, Mike says, give me a kid for two years and I'll put him on the street earning $90,000 right here in Somerset County. And they ain't going to learn that, earn that going to where mom and dad went to college. That's a powerful statement. It is. And it yeah. shows it works. It shows that localism works. And if we, in effect, can think together as a consortium and do what's needed for the county and keep people here. So yeah, and then of course the yeah one of the challenges going back to the transportation, getting those kids to right. the to RBCC. And mm-hmm. here's no on-site educated uh, living, so they have to live locally. The kids come. Yeah, back. they've talked about putting housing options. I wonder if they're still thinking about that. That'd be interesting. So the times are changing. I mean, if we take a look at virtual reality, which are today games, people got their headsets on living in some cyber world, although it looks like Facebook crashed this morning. It's down 25% today. Yeah, I heard that. Um, But you take augmented reality, which we've had on a football field with the yellow line. It's real with something on top of it. And and the first down line has been there for 24 years already. And you merge the two of those with artificial intelligence and robotics. And all of a sudden, we have self-driving cars, which is just one something that somebody can understand. The stuff we can't understand is going to blow your mind in the next five years. And we don't need to get up and go to work. We need comfortable places to live and a place environment. We, we look at hundred and counties because we moved here because we love the rural areas. And we've been here 24 years and we've never looked back other than Maryland drove to um, Rutgers every day for the first 20 years. She retired about four years ago. Uh, we've never looked back. It's a great place. And Somerset County is really the same way. Um, I yeah. say people drive t- from past New York airport saying, let's see what's out here. And they get to about Basking Ridge, Warren, Wachung, and think they've gone to heaven. They don't know that if they got another 20 miles, it gets to be two heavens. And it doesn't matter because that's good enough. They're happy with yeah. it. 
and we have. I, I, I think I, I, I think you're onto a lot of themes, and <clears throat> you know, we, I think as any business person needs to do is kind of predict. I used to call it the theory of the business based on the assumptions that we need to make about what the future holds. Right. But I think to bring it back full circle, uh, there still needs to be authentic places where we can connect as people, as a community, to have fun and experience some, you know, in, in interesting things. And I think that's what the niche is for downtown summer. I think you're absolutely correct because in the '90s, that's what Borders and Starbucks started out as. When we started right, working exactly. at home a little yeah. bit, they needed a place to socialize and. My son, who's never finished high school, used to go to Starbucks just to do the same thing. So it has nothing to do with education. And uh, it's, it's so not during, a- during the, the, the worst part of the COVID epidemic, Joe, my friend saw me walking around, deject, dejected, you know, doing my uh, hike through Somerville. <laughs> and he goes, so he, on his own, me and two other guys met in his back parking lot, about 20 feet apart in our fold-up chairs just to talk because there was literally nothing open. Nothing open. And uh, we come a long way from, from those bleak days. God, it's it it's interesting because you reminded me of something. Janice, uh, the mayor of Clinton, Kovac lives down the street from me. So if I go down the hill and across what's the end of Lee Street, she lives in there. And behind there, there's a park. And I walk through the park and there's a lake. And it's like a three-mile walk each day. So anytime it's not too icy, I do that. And I get to the park and there's like six or eight mothers that all have a lawn chair behind the car. And they're having a tailgate party. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because they had no place to go during COVID. I forgot all about that. Same thing. Yeah. Well, Rick at Verve um, wound up putting some chairs up in the back of his restaurant. His restaurant was closed. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was pretty Spartan back then. He gradually fixed up really nice and put some heaters in and all that. But thank God he did it because, again, you know, we were all, you you got to connect with people. Yep. And uh, I remember saying to myself, because it was getting toward the winter, toward the fall, and I go like, you know, I have a feeling we're going to be out here all winter. (laughs) <laughs> and we were you know what we did what we had to do i remember put, put our winter coats on and uh and then they start opening up again thank god that's neat so i think we've probably come to the end of our time slot i really appreciate you spending fun. time with me and we'll pick it up for another session uh just to talk about that third leg of the history of Somerville. So, Mike, anything you want yeah, to say? Yeah, I look forward to that. There's, uh, I'll do a little research. Okay. Yeah, because I ended with the plaque in the Burger King ending World War One, and I almost got run over getting a picture of that plaque, so it's not easy to find. Well, there's some stories on the Prohibition during Somerville. <clears throat> there's also some stories on the Ku Klux Klan. It's probably Ooh. not a high point. Interesting. It was the Jim Crow era, and that was where the and here here's an angle for it on the history. We'll close on this, I guess. It's Paul Robeson Jr. was moved to Somerville, uh, and this was the height of Jim Crow. This was like deep segregation. Right. He went on to become a world-renowned athlete actor, singer, and political activist. All those skills emerged in Somerville. And I think my theory is they would not have been uh, able to emerge if he had lived, continued to live in Princeton. There was something about Somerville that encouraged his greatness to emerge, even at the height of the very different era. Uh, that's, that's that's what I like to think about that. What was that? That's a great place to end because that's a wonderful story. I'm going to click off the recorder. I think you'll agree. There's a wealth of knowledge within Mike Kerwin, and it's always enjoyable to talk with him to learn about what's happening and some of the plans for downtown Somerville and some of its history. Thank you. 
One of the biggest decisions in your lifetime is buying or selling a house. Choosing a realtor with strong client communication, technology, and marketing skills will dramatically improve your chance of success. That's why Hunterdon and Somerset's residents rely on Joe Peters. Joe believes his clients deserve a smooth and seamless experience, not a roller coaster ride. As a Coldwell Banker Sales Associate with 20 years of experience, he's helped hundreds of people to achieve their goals and dreams, no matter where they were in the buying or selling process. Here's what his satisfied customers have to say. Joe guided us through the process of selling our home and made a complicated transaction appear seamless. Joe is diligent and responsive without being pushy and truly keeps his clients' best interest in mind. He would return calls within minutes if he didn't pick up. Joe accomplishes this by approaching every transaction from a business perspective. Initially, he tries to fully understand your goals and dreams and make them his own. Then he takes the mass amount of data that's available and distills it down to a few understandable action points. And finally, he controls the entire process through technology and marketing. The end result to you is a smooth, rewarding customer experience. Let Joe show you how to take his professional expertise and put it to work for you. To contact Joe, go to jpeters.com. You can call 908-238-0118 or text to 908-304-4660.